0: of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2 this morning. I realize we have a rotation going with our leadership in the back and, and many of you have been watching kids the, or, or teaching our kids and Kind of instructing them the last couple weeks weeks. We've been in the book of Jonah. If you haven't been able to listen online, you can go back and listen to the first couple of weeks there. But we're going to pick up with Jonah chapter 2 this morning. And uh, I want to refresh your memory. And, and for some, it won't be a refreshment. It will actually be new. Of where we kind of left last week. Jeff was sitting right there, and I used him as an example. Uh, for something that I think is a visual that I want to give you, that long after I'm gone, you forget my name, this, that, and the other. You'll say, remember that preacher? He, he did that example sometimes. So can you come here for a second? Since Jeff's not here, you're going you're gonna to be uh, my example today. There's times in our lives, guys, that in, in our sin and our rebellion, that, um, you know, that God calls out to us. The, the, the voice of God, the Bible says that the sheep know his voice and we're to respond to his voice. At the same time, we realize that there's times in in our own stubbornness, our own sinfulness, that sometimes we just don't want to do that. And that was the case of Jonah. Jonah wasn't really... Maybe he was a little bit afraid of the Ninevites. They were very evil and a very violent people. Uh, Maybe he didn't want to go that far away. There could be a lot of reasons, but we're really... We see in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Jonah tells us why he ran from God. He said, God... I don't like that you are going to give grace that if those people called out to you and they really did repent from their sins, they turned away from their sins, that you would forgive them. And I know that's the kind of God that you are, and I just don't like that because I don't like those Ninevites. And in that rebellion, he runs away from God. And the visual that we left last week as we were kind of closing that in the rebellion of our life is that God does, he calls out, just as he did to Jonah, he, said he goes to Jonah, and he gave him very specific instructions. But Jonah decided that he was going to turn. And don't run, just kind of stay here. But he kind of went in the other direction. And we said that there's going to be times in our lives whether I asked, is this God's wrath or is it God's grace? And I had made you raise your hand. And half of you said God's wrath and half of you said God's grace. And then we said, it's really a mixture of both. And so we were able to raise your hands and be Pentecostal for a second and then say, you know, yes, it was both of these things. Because there's, there's times that in our rebellion as we're going, to, you know, away from God, that God goes, come on, Jonah. Come on, Jonah. And if we continue, and we don't turn around, and we continue to go that way, as Jonah did, that he goes from a tap to a thump. Has God ever went from a tap to a thump in your life? There's times, guys, that even after that thump, when God is going, (laughs) Jonah, (laughs) that we still rebel, we still go, we're still whatever, for whatever reason, and God grabs us by the shoulders, guys, and he turns us around to get our attention. Thank you so much for doing that. I I want you to remember that, guys, because I promise you, long after I'm gone, after my name is forgotten, that truth will still exist. That God calls you by voice. The sheep know His voice. But there are going to be times that for whatever reason, we just don't agree with God. That was Jonah's problem. He said so. That's not us making up. Jonah said, I don't agree with you, God. I don't like the Ninevites, and I just know the kind of God that you are, and if they repented, that you would just have mercy upon them, and you'd forgive them. And I don't like that. They deserve your wrath. And in his rebellion, God taps. God thumps. And we will see today that there are times that God in our lives grabs our shoulders, and he turns us around. In a way, you could say that that is God's wrath. It is judgment. I would prefer to say that it is. while it is a form of wrath, it is much more a form of His grace. For me to continue in my rebellion as my heart would desire... That's what I want to do. But God in his mercy and in his grace and his love says no. Even if it means going from tapping to thumping to turning you around by some catastrophe in your life, by some chaos in your life, or whatever it might be, I love you and I want to get your attention. And I believe that there's been many times in Bobby Link's life that he has done that. That I ignored the tap. I ran away from the thump. And by his love and his mercy, he had to grab my shoulders. Now, please don't hear that every bad thing that happens and every chaotic thing that comes into our lives uh, is is the Father trying to, to, to correct us on some rebellion of our life. The Bible says that chaos happens, bad things happen to the just and the unjust. Sometimes it's just because we're in a broken world, guys. And that's what Romans 8 tells us, that we just live in chaos because we live in a broken world. And that this futility, as it says in Romans chapter 8, is just going to be a part of our life until we go to heaven. And then we're in the perfection of what God has. But until this, you and I will deal with futility. So not every this, that, and the other, every catastrophe of life is God's tapping or thumping or turning around. But I would say that oftentimes God does do that when we're in rebellion. And that a proper thing for us to do is to examine our lives and say, okay, God, did I ignore when you called me as one of your sheep? Did I ignore when I wanted to do what Bobby wanted to do rather than what you had called me to do? And you tapped and you thumped. And and now this is just a turn around. And you did it not because you are just mad and angry and hateful toward me. You did it because you love me. And you know that the the end of that is a form of destruction that I don't want. That's what we see in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah is running. He is running. And what we see is is two points start coming out as we talk about uh, what God did. It said very distinctly in chapter 1 that God sent a storm. This is of God's making. A storm just didn't happen to brew up, and they decided to throw Jonah overboard. No, it said that God sent a storm. And we finish chapter 1 by saying that God also provided an answer to that. But what we begin to see is that it is God's wrath. It is His judgment, but it's also His grace. Folks, to look at the cross that we just sang about and to diminish the cost of sin is to make mockery of the cross. For me, to to diminish the weight and the rebelliousness of my sin is to make mockery of what Christ paid for on the cross but let's counterbalance that let's have the fullness of the gospel how foolish to think that there's even one sin out there even one sin and even your sin that is greater than what Christ accomplished on the cross see that's the lie of Satan he loves us to go in one of those two directions he loves us to say "Ah, it's not that big of a deal it was a big deal guys when we're in rebellion of God of what he says in his commandments it's a big deal and again, to make less of that, to make light of that, is to make mockery of the cross. But another one of Satan's favorite techniques in your mind and my mind is to somehow get us so cornered in our sin, so devastated in our lives in this rebellion, that somehow we paint a picture, you know, I know there's a lot of bad things that a lot of bad people have done, but I don't know that God can ever forgive me of this. To ever take on that mindset, even for a second, even for a second, is to make light and to make mockery of the cross. There is not one sin. There is not a single sin that Christ has not, by his victory on the cross, enabled us to have forgiveness and experience God's grace. And so that visual is to remind us that this is a loving God that does pursue us. This is a loving God that would tap and thump and turn us around in these times of rebellion. Let's look again, Jonah chapter 1, how we finished last week. Just as God had appointed a storm, look what it says. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The same God that appointed the storm, but we would see it's kind of the the problem here. (laughs) He's going to drown. Is the same God that appoints a fish that appoints an answer. The same God that hurls the storm is the same God that directs a fish to the right place at the right time and says, that's supper for you, or at least for the next three days. Same God. And, and so what do we see as Jonah's response in what really would have been certain death? He's thrown into the Mediterranean Sea, as we're going to see. He goes down and down and down. We see that coming out. What does he do in the midst of this rebellion he gets caught in this rebellion God taps he thumps he turns him around he gets tossed in the sea and what does he do? he prays and a lot of us right now would say a theological duh <laughs> yeah Jonah chapter 2 verse 1 then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish my question to you this morning I love to ask questions that we can answer by the gospel and the answer from the word and the question to you this morning, does God hear and answer desperate prayers? Does God hear and answer desperate prayers when the mess that we're in was of our own making? Yeah. Yeah. He really does. I promise you there's going to be times that Satan's going to go, Yeah, but you've got yourself in this one. You're going to have to get yourself out of it. And folks, that is not the gospel. It is not the truth of God's word. And there are going to be times when it comes to our sin problem, there is nothing you and I can do to get out of it. There was only one answer, and that answer is Christ and the provision of his sacrifice on the cross. God didn't come up with plan B. He didn't come up with another plan. This is the plan for the strong people. Well, for the really weak people, we'll have this plan. No, there's one plan, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jonah uh, is thrown into the ocean, Mediterranean Ocean. There's this fierce storm that's going. The, the Bible says that the minute he's thrown in, what happens to the storm? It's kind of gone and it's calm, but that's not what happens to Jonah. As we'll see, he begins to sink in the waters of the Mediterranean. He begins to drown in a way. And we begin to see in this desperation that he prays uh, from the belly of the fish In verse 1, but to get there, we have to kind of go through the other verses. Do you notice how it described how Jonah was praying? This is really important. Look in verse 1. Who's he praying to? Okay, the Lord, his God. Not just God, but his God. Do you see the possessive, possessive nature of that? This is very important, guys, because sometimes it's one of those things where we're going, okay... Jonah, you know, he rebelled in that rebellion. He didn't even love God. I think he still loved God. I think he still acknowledged God. He just didn't agree with God. And that helps me to understand my rebellion sometimes. Because not every, listen really close, not everything that I do in rebellion is always that all of a sudden I don't believe in God anymore. It's not because he's not my God. I just don't agree with what God's doing. And that may cause a rebellion in my heart. But for us to think, well, because here's kind of the the satisfaction sometimes how we can play both sides of this. Well, it's not like I don't trust God anymore. It's not like I don't believe God anymore. And then just allow our rebellion to still take place and somehow be satisfied that it's not like we don't believe in God. No, there's a lot of folks that can believe in God, have personal relationship with God, and still have rebellion against God. I think it's very, very important that Jonah prayed here to the Lord his God. He wasn't acting as if this was Lord. He certainly didn't seem like he was under the Lordship of God and obedience to this. But he's still saying he prayed to his God. He has a relationship with this God. And as he began to do look at verse 2. Saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. Sheol is the place of the dead. He said, I cried, and you heard my voice. And so the scripture, Jonah answers the question, does God hear the prayers of desperate people? I've known a lot of people, I mean, maybe not in a personal way where I've sat down and talked with thousands of them, but I've known a lot of people that said, you know, I kind of always knew that God existed, never really had a personal relationship, and then I went off to war or I went off to this, I went to that, and bullets were flying over my head. And all of a sudden, you started thinking about things you had never thought about before. Would you agree that there are situations in life like that? I don't know how many people we have in here today that you've actually been in military, you know, the military and, and in battle, but I can imagine, I can imagine, bullets start flying over your head as you're in that foxhole, that, that you think about things that are both life and death, the eternal. I imagine that uh, this past week we, we saw these two escapees go and we hear some of the aftermath of the stories of how they home invaded and then these other people. I imagine you start thinking in the chaos and the crucibles of life, some thoughts that you don't do just in every day, and that's where Jonah is. He really is contemplating the complexity of life, the seriousness of life. And he comes in and he says, man, I cried out, even in desperation. Here I am, the one that's running in the opposite direction. But in my need, as I begin to drown, I cried out. And he said, God answered me and he heard my voice. Folks, that's encouraging to me. Not that I want to live a life of rebellion not that I think that that's the path that we should take, but knowing that I have this rebellious heart from time to time, I'm prideful, I'm selfish, I'm this, I'm that, and that it, it may cause this to happen in my life and I may kind of disagree with God and head in a different direction, that he is a God who still taps and thumps and turns. And when I cry out in desperation, in the chaos and the aftermath of some of this, that he hears my voice and that he would answer. I mean, it's one thing to hear your voice. Every husband, every wife. Don't raise your hand. this Father's Day. I don't want to create bad bad things to happen. Have you ever been kind of just tipped a little bit and your spouse called out and you heard them call out but you kind of ignored that and acted as if they didn't call out from the other room or something? Anybody ever do Don't raise your hand. Don't raise, Just in your heart, in your heart, repent right now and say that was a bad thing. You know, you heard, but you just didn't answer. Why? Because you were just ticked. You were mad. You disagreed. They couldn't see you. They didn't know if you heard or not. And so you gave them the shadow of the doubt and you just went with it. It's one thing to hear a voice. It's another thing to answer the voice. And here we have a God who just not. He knows all things. He hears all things. There's nothing that escapes God. This is a trait of God. but look at this other trait of God. He answers Him in his desperate call. Amen. And it's one thing to know that God hears me. that's just His mightiness and His holiness. It's another thing that God answers me in my desperate call, even when I was the one that was running in rebellion. What a God of grace, What a God of love. And so we begin to see that he heard his voice. I and mean, we expect God to hear our voice. I mean, when we're doing something heroic, let's say that you were smuggling Bibles into a country where they did not allow God's word. And you're there and you've got this suitcase, suitcases full of Bibles. And you're going in. And by the time the border guard goes, Uh, you, over here, open your suitcases. And you pray this desperate prayer knowing that you could be thrown into prison, all these other aftermaths of what you're doing. When you pray, do you expect God to hear that prayer? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. You're exactly right. You know, because you're doing something. Good. But when you're doing something really rebellious, you know in your heart that's rebellious. You know that it's wrong. Do you feel sometimes that even though God can hear you, that maybe he won't answer you? See, that's kind of the difference. That's where Satan comes in with those lies and says, man, the evil that you have done, If you were God, would you listen to you? Well, we're not God, and we don't have that perfection. Maybe there are times as spouse, there's times even as mom and dad, have we ever done that to older kids, not younger kids? Mommy, I'm not going to answer that. (laughs) And yet we have a Heavenly Father that even in our sinful rebellion, in our desperate cry, God, help me. He not only hears, But he answers. Verse 3. Jonah sees God all over this. He says, for you, he's talking about God, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah sees God at the very center of this catastrophe, what could easily take his life. He begins to see that God is working even in the midst of his rebellion. Your waves, your seas, your billows. The sailors, the waves, the billows, the, he tried to run, run away. He cries out from that. And look what happens in verse 4. And then I said, after he acknowledges that God is in the midst of all this, he says, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains, I, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Do you see the progression that's happening there in those verses? Folks, He's go, he's going into the Mediterranean Sea. He's not on the surface kind of flashing around, you know, sending out an SOS. He's going down. Look at the progression. Again, as I said, if we took Jonah, the book of Jonah, out of the Bible and just looked at it as a literary thing, which, again, uh, it is an actual story, an actual man, and it actually happened. But if we look at it just from its literary, it is one of the most beautiful books that's ever been written. It just has a lot of poetic type of writing and here he is saying, okay, I've driven out, and then we go from verse 2, distressed, to verse 3, drowning, to verse 4, distant. Verse 5 and 6, he's there at the root of the mountains. What picture do you get? It's the bottom of the sea. It's where the mountains kind of have their foundation. So if from the bottom of the sea, he says, okay, I'm there, and, and I'm doomed. There's no life. Look again at verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit oh Lord my God. I-, I couldn't go any lower. I'm-, I'm as low as I can go. I- I'm at the bottom of the sea, so to speak. I don't know how far that is. But he gives this figurative language or maybe a literal language, and he's there at the bottom. He's sinking in his sin. He said, yet at the bottom of this, from the very pit, there and he brought life to me. Down, 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 down. And when he can't go down any farther, what happens? God appoints a fish. And he comes and he swallows him out. Verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Do you see this picture? Jonah gets thrown off. He goes down. He's sinking in the consequences of his sin. And when he gets into this pit of it, Sheol, as far as he can go, he has no hope upon himself. God appoints a fish to come and just swallow him up. Folks, this is what we see in the New Testament time and time again. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. It was all all, all over the New Testament, Paul's writings, Peter's writings, John's writings, that when we were without hope in ourselves, we couldn't fix it that God, through Christ, brought us redemption, he brought us life. Out of death, he brought life. That's where we kind of get a little cross-eyed. What we don't always see sin is death. Well, we, again, we don't see the heaviness of it. We don't see that our rebellion is actually bringing death into our lives. Sometimes we minimize that sin and we don't say, okay, uh, death is going to come into this relationship. Death is going to come into this aspect of our life when we allow sin to prevail. Folks, even, can got to be very careful theologically here. Once Christ comes in and forgives, <laughs> we are still secured by the work that he has done. But to think that death can't come into relationships, that death can't come into a marriage, that death can't come into different places of our lives, when we live rebellious lives, we're fooling ourselves. And yet, even what we deserve, what Jonah really deserved here, is probably physical death, spiritual death, every other kind of death. He says, in the point of that, God, you saved me. You sent a fish. You appointed a fish. And that's why we can see there in verse 7, he says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. We can come back and we see that in that desperate cry. And what we see there is two great truths about our sin. Number one, and Jonah learned this, he learned the real death of sin. One of the tragedies of the Christian life, of the Christian life, is that somehow we get saved and we treat grace very cheaply. What? now that I'm saved, I got my ticket to heaven, I can kind of live however I want to. And we've probably all entertained that thought from time to time. we probably all treated sin very cheaply and grace very cheaply in our life. Thinking that, okay, since Christ is secured and this is a done deal, this old once saved, always saved, I can kind of go on and live however I want to. Folks, that's a theological truth. That once Christ has provided you salvation, you cannot lose it because it's based on Him. But it is not a good practical way to live because there still can be that death. There can be that cost. This experience of, of the frustration that sin brings into our lives. You know, the New Testament, instead of treating cheap gracefully, it says it gives us this high calling to the gospel. That in response to what Christ and only Christ could, done, could do, that we live responsible lives, that we don't live kind of just in this attitude of sin is no big deal, that we really treat sin as a big deal in our lives. Not because we might lose our salvation, but because we are appreciative of the grace by which we have been saved. He learned that there was a real depth to his sin. He also learned that there's a real depth. God's grace can you run so far that God can't catch you isn't that a good thing I mean one way could that be frustrating do you think Jonah really wanted to get away from God I see your mind what do you mean really wanted I think he did I mean, in one way, I could make a case for either side, but in one way, I'm thinking he really did want to get away from what God wanted him to do. I don't know that he wants to get away from God, but he certainly wants to get away from what God wants him to do. And and so he gets kind of caught in that. And in the midst of that, what we begin to see is that he could not outrun God. Verse 8. Listen to what he said. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope, Of steadfast love. Now, why did he bring idols in there? And who is he saying that this one who is kind of forsaking idols? He begins to identify that this rebellious attitude was really, in a way of kind of a worshiping an idol. That it was such false theology, and it was such a betrayal to what God had called him to do. He he considered that, and he realizes maybe for the first time, and to certainly to a greater degree, of the cost of his rebellion. he even equates it to idol worshiping there folks the idol of religion can bring peace to your uh, mind for about a second when you start looking at other people and say well at least i'm not as bad as they are for about a second maybe maybe five seconds maybe a minute but you and i are not to compare ourselves to anybody except for one that one is christ when we you know, when we compare ourselves to Christ, we're always going to come up, okay, we're, we're, we begin to see our sin more and more, and we see His righteousness, and that's what Jonah begins to do. And look at verse 9. But I wish the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. A fancy way of saying, okay, I'll go to Tarshish. I'll go to Nineveh. Okay, I'm going to go. I vow that I will go. You know, his prayer is one of thanksgiving, it's one of repentance, and it's one of surrender. He will go on to Nineveh. He will preach this eight-word sermon and march through the streets preaching this in obedience to God. And he will proclaim to them that there is no other God except for the one real God. So you see this progression. He's thrown overboard. Down, 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 down. He feels the weight of that. In his desperation, he cries out to God. He vows to God, God, I will. I, I see that you are the only God. I vow that I will be obedient to you. In this desperate prayer, uh, prayer from the depths of the sea, what does God do? Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out into the dry land. A little bit Graphic. The same fish that God appointed now, he speaks and he says, God, I want you to, we don't know how far out he is. Is he 500 feet out? Is he three miles out? You know, he's at the bottom. He feels like he's at the bottom of the ocean because he describes seaweed and all these others. He says, I've, I've been to the very root or the base of the mountains. In other words, I see where the mountains go into the water and then I've gone to the base. I'm at the bottom of the sea. God appoints that fish. He comes over. And now he appoints that fish to go to dry land and to spit him out. Whenever I've looked at this passage, I'm going, you know, if I was God and thankful for you, I'm not. Because I'm spitting you out about 100 yards out. Just so that there's a little bit of, okay, I'm going to put you close enough to shore, to seashore. But I'm going to teach you a lesson. You know, you're going to have to swim a little bit in. And, but what we see here is, is that it's all Christ, guys. It's all Christ. He doesn't save us mostly from our sins, 99%. And then, okay, you finish the task by doing this one good thing. No, it truly, really, as theologians have said, there was no, the only thing we brought to the cross is our sin, our rebellion. That's the only thing we brought. And yet the grace of God, the love of God, and the victory of Christ brings us salvation. Romans 5, 8, and 9. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knows that we were sinners, and yet he died for us. But look at verse 9. Many of you know that Romans 5, 8 is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. But look at verse 9 and how it uh, kind of marries into this story. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It's one of those great places for an amen. It's one of those times when we really get, okay, how saved are we? How saved are you? You're completely saved by the work of Christ. And that leads us to a place we want to live in obedience. We want to live in coordination that God's call upon our life. Not in rebellion. We don't want to minimize sin and say, so, okay, since I got my ticket to heaven, now I can just kind of live however I want to. No, we live lives that, that kind of show this glory and this grace that's been brought to our lives. He appointed a fish, just as He appointed a storm, all to show us what would happen hundreds of years later that He had already appointed a Savior. It's all a part of the picture. Jonah is a pretelling of the work of Christ. Three nights in the belly of the well. I mean, this, and how do we know this? Because we are smart and we put this together? No, because we look in Mark and we look in Luke, and two different times Jesus said, makes reference to Jonah and says, just as I, this is what happened to Jonah, and he connects the two. For everybody that would say, you know, are you sure this isn't just a parable It's kind of a strange story. I mean, really, a big fish? Three days? Is that even humanly possible? And here's the human side of us, guys. Even as a pastor, we want to go find stories over there in the Mediterranean Sea of some big grouper, some big fish, and some man that got swallowed up and lived a day and a half. And go, well, there's proof. Guys, if you struggle with a big fish, and I mean, I, I, I know that sounds strange, then you're really going to have a hard time that God spoke the word and the, the world came into to being. That, that, that Jesus was born of a virgin. This doesn't even make the top ten list of hard things to believe in the Bible, okay? It's not even close. But because we have a God that did speak, and it was. Light came from darkness. Because we have a God that truly came forth in flesh, Born of a virgin. Because we have a God who truly in that flesh was in the grave for three days and rose again. Because of those miracles. This is nothing. If anything is just a picture to kind of push us forward, to kind of guess thinking hundreds of years before this foretelling of what Christ would do. Let's sum it up this morning. Does God hear desperate prayers? Does God hear desperate prayers of even rebellious people, even when you're in the midst of your rebellion? I mean, it's not like you've changed your life and you've been changed for a whole year now. Now God's going to start listening again. Okay, you kind of prove that you're serious. In the matters, you're in this desperate, you're going down and down and down, and out of the depths of your sin, you cry out, God, help me. Does God hear that prayer? Yes. And a thousand times, yes. And a million times, yes. This is my hope. This is your hope. That even in my rebellion, I can run from God. But He's a loving God and He taps and He thumps and He turns and He pursues us and He points fish. And the fish throw us up on the dry land, not out there in the middle of the ocean so that we can learn a lesson. That we have a Savior that has saved us completely. And so this morning, maybe you're not in a place of rebellion. Maybe you're not in a place where you uh, are living this out. But maybe this morning you are. And you're going, there's really no hope for me. I'm getting what I deserve. Because remember remember Jonah chapter 1? Throw me over, guys. There was something that he thought was actually halfway heroic about having to pay for his own sin. Y'all just throw me over. Save yourselves. I'm the rebellious one. Throw me over. There is nothing heroic about you paying for your own sins. But there's something sure heroic about a God who loved you so much that he would send one that would pay for my sins. And there's something sure is heroic and loving and grace-giving and a God that even when I get stubborn, prideful, selfish, fill in the blank, that he taps, and he thumps, and he turns. And if that's where you are this morning, and you've been filling the tap, I, I, I would pray, turn at the, you turn at the tap. Okay, if you feel God just kind of, you know, kind of, He's brought some things to your mind. You're not thrown out in the boat yet. You're not falling down into the Mediterranean Saints. But you know you're kind of taking a step in rebellion. And turn. Put your eyes upon. Jesus, look full in His wonderful face and all the things of this world will begin to fade in His glory and His grace. But this morning if you've been turned by God if He truly has your place and you think, man there is not even the hope of Christ, my sin is greater than that, it's bigger than that, not even God can forgive me. You're in direct uh Disagreement with what the Word of God proclaims this morning. Your sin is not greater than His grace. And this morning, God can forgive, restore, and allow you to start walking anew. So, whether it's a little thing, whether it's turned into a big thing, whether it's you're five miles out of uh, direction, whether you're five feet out, turn to Christ. Look to His beauty and His grace. Call out to him in that desperate voice and say, God, I need you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, it's so easy to see the rebellion of Jonah because it's so dramatic. He doesn't just head in a, uh, another direction. He heads in the opposite direction as far as he can go. Father, it's pretty easy to see the desperation when we begin to see these words that describe that he goes from the surface of the water down into the billows, into the waves, into the seaweed, into the very bottom of the ocean. Father, it's pretty easy to be able to start painting that picture of how desperate his need was. And Father, I pray this morning, that in our desperate need, that Father, you would show us that you are this God, that we are Jonah. So Father, today, whether it's a tap, a thump, a turn, if there's rebellion in our heart in life, if there's something, Father, that we're just not living out, this hope of the gospel, will you open our eyes to it, Father, before we walk even a step more toward Tarshish? Father, if it's in our marriage and we've just developed a hard place, whether it's in our family, whether it's in the church family, whether it's a friend or foe, Father, will you bring that to our mind? And Father, for those this morning, that maybe they really do feel that desperate, desperate hopelessness of being buried in the midst of their sin. Father, will you show them that just as you appointed a fish, hundreds of years later, you appointed their son. And you appointed him to an old rugged cross. So that we can have the hope of forgiveness and restoration. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, we desperately, desperately cry out to you this morning. And we thank you and praise you just as Jonah did for this one who's our Savior, Christ the Lord. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.